The following audio is from the Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. Hey, good morning, everybody. Hope you're doing well. It is so fun to have the sun out because we've paid the price for eight months of rain, clouds, wet, cold, all that. So you earned a day of sun. Enjoy it. Um, Anyway, real quick, uh, I know it was mentioned in the announcement video, but we've, uh, with, with COVID the last couple of years, um, we had to take a step back from our missions opportunities. And so if you notice, there's a trip coming up next March that we would love for you to be a part of. Um, it's happening mid-March of 2023. And there's an informational meeting happening next Sunday at 1230. There is a cap on the number we can have be a part. So I want to encourage you to come to that meeting just to find out some of the details if you're interested at all, because uh, it's going to be a great time. And we're finally back to it. So Dominican Republic 2023 helping expand some facilities at a school in Pedernales. So it's going to be a great trip. Also want to take a moment and celebrate that last week we had over 100 individuals um, raise their hand and say, hey, I want to say yes to Jesus. So I think that's awesome. Definitely worth celebrating. And then today we jump into part two of our series, I Promise. We're talking about God's promises as we look at the new covenant and um, what he has to say to each of us. So uh, if you're looking for a spot in scripture to land, we're going to be in Second Peter chapter one. I know I say it a lot, but if you have a Bible, you own a Bible with actual pages, I encourage you to bring it, get familiar with where certain things are in there. And I know you have smartphones. So if you got a smartphone, you can open your Bible app and turn to Second Peter one. But um, if you got a physical Bible, always a good habit to know where things are at in there. Today, uh, as we jump into part two of this conversation about I promise, um, the word promise, as you look at scripture, uh, is, is a pretty amazing word. And what I love is, first of all, the Greek word is epangelia, E-P-A-N-G-E-L-I-A. And you go, well, why are you spelling it for us? Does that really help? And I know it doesn't, but I just wanted to prove my spelling bee skills to you guys. Um, no, honestly, what I want you to notice for a second is in the middle of this word is the word angel. And the reason I bring it up, because when you look at the promises of God and you see in scripture the appearance of angels, the reason it's a similar word, um, the root word is similar, is because anytime an angel appears in scripture, their whole purpose is to reveal or to proclaim a message about who God is or what God is doing. And so I thought that was kind of a cool thing about promises. In literature, outside of scripture, back in the day, you know, scripture was, was penned. Um, outside of scripture, the word promise was never used for a deity or a God or gods making promises towards man. It was always used in parabiblical or, or literature outside of the Bible. It was always used in terms of men making some sort of promises to the skies, to the heavens, to the gods. And yet what we see in scripture in particular is that we have this, this God we talk about a lot, the Lord. Um, Yahweh, God making promises to man, which I thought was pretty unique and pretty incredible if you really consider kind of how big of a deal that is. In the New Testament, the word for promise appears 52 times. And first and foremost, what we understand when we wrap our heads around promises is God is the giver of promises. If you're taking notes, I'm going to refer to a bunch of different spots in Scripture as we make our way to 2 Peter chapter 1. But in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20, Paul says that God's promises are absolutely dependable. So when God says something, 
it will be fulfilled. And what, one of the beauties of you and I looking at the Old Testament, being readers of the Old Testament, is what we see is this God who is faithful. And so if you think about it, if you were here last week on Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, and we opened up about the promises of God, one of the things I talked about was from the very beginning where mankind's relationship with God was broken, as you get to Genesis 12, you see a promise given to Abraham that was then fulfilled thousands of years later in Jesus. But the beauty of God's promises is every time over and over when they're given, they end up being fulfilled. And so when you read the Old Testament, that's the pattern that you see. One of the most stark examples is actually in Joshua chapter 21. If you've ever read through the Old Testament, Genesis Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, then you get to Joshua, okay? The nation of Israel has left Egypt. They were in slavery. They left Egypt. They wandered around in the desert. As Joshua began to lead them, God said, enter the promised land. But over and over, as you read the book of Joshua, God gives these promises, go and do this and you will overcome. Go and do this and you will inherit the land. And in Joshua 21, verses 43 through 45, listen to these words. So the Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to give their ancestors, and they took possession of it and settled there. The Lord God gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their ancestors. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hands. And then verse 45, not one of all of the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one of them was fulfilled. God never defaulted on his promises. When God said it, it really did settle it, that it's true and it's going to happen. So we look at the Old Testament and what we see is the nature of a God who is faithful. And so, like I mentioned, as far as Easter, the first and most important promise that is our foundation is salvation through Christ. That the work of the cross, Jesus' crucifixion and death and burial and resurrection, made a way where sin broke our path or blocked our path. Jesus made a way to restore our relationship with God. And that's the best promise ever. That's the foundational promise that everything else builds upon. And so the great news is there are even more promises than just that one. And today I want to talk about the promise of life. Now, I realize that when we talk about salvation, we're talking about God making a way that that relationship can be restored so that as you and I leave this place and enter into eternity, we have fellowship with God, connection with God through Christ. We have peace in the sense that our eternity is taken care of because of what Jesus has done. So that's one way to understand life, but the other way is abundant life here on earth. Now, let's I want to be careful how we paint this picture because all kinds of things have been said about what abundant life is and it really does matter how it's explained. Jesus said this in John 10:10. 10, 10. I've mentioned this verse a lot of times. The enemy has come to steal and kill and destroy. Then Jesus says, "But I have come that you may have life and life abundantly. The idea there is one, yes, eternity, but two, life on this earth. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Behold, if anyone is in Christ, anybody know where I'm going with this? They are a new creation. Everybody say new creation. New creation. 
Paul says, behold, everything is gone and now all things become new. What Paul is saying is that when you and I are in Christ, yes, our eternity is sealed. We're good to go. Nothing to worry about as we breathe our last breath. That's true. But Paul is saying for you and I who still have days to live out in Christ on this earth that we are something new. We're not just an old trying to be something different. We're not just an old trying to accomplish other goals because we're in Christ. We are actually something new. The reason I say it is because it would be easy for me to talk about new life in Christ and and a few people in the room that maybe raised their hand last week, some of the people in the room that have been in Christ for six months or a year or a couple of years go, new life, I wanna hear more about this. And then everyone else tunes out. Well, I've been in Jesus for five years, been in Jesus for 10 years, 20, 30, 50, 80 years. I, 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 this kind of doesn't apply to me because I got that new life way back when. And that would be a gross misunderstanding of what we're talking about when we say new life. Yes, it begins when you and I surrender to Jesus, believe on his work for our relationship with God. It only begins there, though. New life is something that you and I are challenged to walk out every day. And that's where we finally get to 2 Peter chapter 1. Starting in verse 3, it says this, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life, through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. God, I pray these verses would come alive. I pray for an understanding. Help me to try to explain this the best that I can. But God, thank you for your work, your power in every heart in this room to understand what this is about and why it matters to how we live every single day. In Jesus' name, amen. So what I'm saying when I say abundant life or new life is that this applies to all of us. We're not excluded because we've been in Christ for any length of time. This applies to every single one of us. Peter, when he's writing these words, remember Peter came from Israel. Peter was a Jew who was a believer in Jesus and obviously a disciple. So when he writes first and second Peter, his audience is a group of people who keeps going back to the old covenant and trying to figure out what is it that they're supposed to obey. And Peter in 2 Peter 1 is trying to once again build that case where you're not bound to the old covenant, you're in Christ and there's a whole nother way. So when he says his divine power, Peter is referring to Jesus. And in referring to Jesus, he's talking about a certain power that comes from Jesus. Let me be more specific. When you look at Luke 24, Jesus has paid the price on the cross, buried, resurrected, appeared to the disciples, and now he's teaching them at the end of Luke's gospel. And Luke says this, okay, I'm reading Luke 24, 44 through 49. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled in the law that was written uh, about me in Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their mind so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance in the forgiveness of of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. 
you are witnesses of these things. Now listen to verse 49. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Peter says his divine power. Luke is quoting Jesus talking about there's a promise I'm giving you about this power, okay? John, in his gospel, he's writing as an eyewitness and a disciple. In, in John 14, 26, John says this, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, there's that similar phrase again, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And then you get to Acts, okay? Luke wrote the gospel of Luke and Luke followed it up by writing this letter, Acts. He also traveled with, with the disciples as they planted churches. But in Acts at the very beginning, in chapter one, he quotes Jesus in verse uh, four through, uh, oops, I forgot to put it in here, four through eight. Do not leave Jerusalem. Okay, this goes back to what was said in Luke. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days from now, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you this time gonna restore the kingdom to Israel? He said, it's not for you to know the times or dates the father has placed by his own authority. And then verse eight, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. There's Jerusalem again, in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So when, let me go back to Peter. When Peter says his divine power, he's referring to the gift that Jesus promised was going to come. When Jesus was with the disciples in body, he told them, I am going away, but I'm going to send my spirit. The father has promised the spirit will be sent for you to do something I'm challenging you to do. So later on, Peter follows it up by saying his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Let me, let me break it down one more time and try to get it as simple as I can. Peter is referring to when he talks about God's glory and goodness. He's saying, you have a God that is so glorious and magnificent and awesome and yet so good towards you that he's done this work for you. He sent his Holy Spirit to empower you to live out a Christ-centered life, to live free from the burden of addiction, to live free from the things that keep us from Christ, to, to, to give us the empowerment to shine the light of Jesus the way that we're intended to every single day. And so it's this idea when you put together, I understand God's glory, I understand God's goodness towards us, towards me, and I understand he sent the gift, the promise of the Holy Spirit to live inside of me. And when I believe that and live in a place of surrender towards those things that I learn about, again, through our knowledge of him, when I live that way, when I live in that place, believing in God's glory and goodness, believing he promised the Holy Spirit, believing that as I grow in my knowledge, then guess what? Something is activated that brings about transformation. 
Something is activated that, that brings about this idea that when you look at your life in Christ, there are mile markers along the way where you go, I used to be that, now I'm this. I used to fall prey to that, but now I'm in Christ. I used to you know, live in this pattern, but now I'm in Jesus and I'm different than I used to be. Anybody familiar with that journey? Okay, yeah, many of us are. So, so here's the deal. That thing activated is the Holy Spirit. Look at verse four. He says, through these, so through understanding what I just tried to explain, through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises. One of those being the Holy Spirit empowering us. It says, through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. If you want to live out Christ-centeredness, if you want to live out the freedom that God has come to bring you, then it's, it's, it's the, the process of verse 3 that activates that in our lives. Here's the catch. Oftentimes, the life you and I live is so busy that we may actually at certain moments pray, Lord, would you fill me? Lord, would you, God, Lord, I surrender to you. But then the catch is this. Do we take the time after praying that prayer to let the Holy Spirit remind us, okay, you say you want to surrender? Then guess what? Here's what I have for you. And, and he reminds us of, of, of forgiveness that we need to give towards somebody. He reminds us of habits that are holding us back. He quickens us towards loving our neighbor that rubs us the wrong way every time they drive by. He, he, he gives us the thought of, of how we treat our kids and that at times we need to repent towards them because we were a little heavy handed. He, he, he gives us a window into, but are you diligently you know, drawing near to me and being a reader of scripture? Let, let, me, let me try to paint it this way for a moment. What happens when we talk about this journey is like I said, we, we had over hundred people say, hey, I wanna surrender. I need that fresh start in Jesus. That's awesome. And at that moment, it begins with surrender for everybody. That's the only place to start. You follow me? So that's it. And then what happens is we have maybe what we would sort of, this is just me, we would sort of label the big sins, okay? Okay, I have a pattern of sexual behavior that isn't healthy and things that aren't good, but I'm married, that's not good. And in Christ, I go, that's, that's not healthy. I'm walking away from that. I have a pattern of, of leaning towards the bottle a little much and numbing myself and getting a little drunk or I get high to sort of just enjoy myself, but that's not a good pattern to live in. Or, or we have this thing where we live in anger and we lash out at people. And we don't care because it, it is who we are. And through the work of the spirit, we go, man, I got I to give that up. So there's certain things we understand we need to set aside. And if we're all honest in this room, many of us have been in those places. And again, there's many others. There's other parts of the journey where we go, boy, you know, I, I, hear, I hear pastor at times, there's different people talk about being a Bible reader. I really want to make a commitment to reading some scripture. I really want to make a commitment to coming and gathering and being a part of things like this where I can be challenged and encouraged, where I can worship and, and sing and allow the work of God in me to transform my life great. And so there, there's this idea where it starts with all of us going, that's different and that's different and that's different. And when you and I look at maybe the beginning year, two, three, four, five of our journey, we go, wow, look at all that. That's pretty awesome. But then the catch is that over time, we kind of are going through the motions and we look at our lives and go, there's not a lot of transformation happening. So the progression in this conversation is this. While the big things apply to all of us, 
as you mature in Christ, those things become more nuanced. So, so let, let, me try, let me try to say this. So in the beginning, it's all the big stuff. And we all need that. Yeah, the big stuff isn't helping us at all. We need to commit to, to you know, these other patterns. But then little by little, maybe at certain points, it's, it's um, hey, I, wanna, I want you, you feel this impression. You need to memorize some scripture. And maybe for you, that's the commitment. You're, this week, man, I just feel like God really wants me to memorize some scripture. But maybe for your, your, your good friend you're talking to, they feel this conviction of, man, I need to forgive my boss. I've been holding this grudge and bitterness, and that's their thing. And, and maybe for a relative of yours that, that's learned to, to live in Jesus, they're, they're committing to, you know, I got to give up smoking because it is not helping my health. And again, all kinds of examples of people around us that they need to commit to a habit of, of reading scripture, classmates to share their faith with their parents or you to deal with an anger issue or you, you think negatively all the time and you lean towards that and it tears you down and, and leaning into some scripture that builds you up or worship music that can help you focus on things that bring peace and hope and life. As you live in Christ beyond the beginning portion of the journey, there ought to be new life developing new things. And those things may not be the big things. Maybe they're more nuanced, but life in the spirit continues to bring about transformation over time. Does that make sense? And so it's this challenge of not assuming when, when Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. And what we do is go, wow, I remember that 30 years ago. We can remember that 30 years ago, but with the understanding that that new life is given to me in the spirit all the time. And there are times where in my surrender, in my prayer closet or wherever you want to go, in my time to stop and reflect, to yes, read some scripture, to yes, put on a Spotify worship playlist, but to verbalize in prayer wherever you might be, God, I surrender to you today. And I've been in this, this is my prayer. God, I've been in this for almost 30 years now, but Lord, I know you're not done with me. Show me what you want. Show me where things aren't as they ought to be. And it's not this idea of constantly living in condemnation because we don't measure up. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's in fact the opposite. It's the joy of finding ourselves in a place of learning to be more like Christ all the time. It's similar to how Heather and I are raising kids. And, and they're 19, 16, 14, and 11 and, and we love them right where they're at. We adore them. We, we love being around them. They're my favorite people. I tell them that all the time. You're, you're one of my favorite people. All the time. And I love them dearly, but I also am always challenging who they're becoming. Why? Because I care about them. In the same way, the Spirit of God isn't looking down on us, wanting to beat us down because we don't measure up. No, no, what God wants to do is continue to pull us into Christ-likeness because that's the, the, most, uh, the, the, the most fulfilling way for you to live out our lives, shining the light of Christ into a world and enjoying and appreciating the spirit of Jesus always at work in our lives. God says, I promise you've been given a gift called the Holy Spirit. And I promise if you would believe that the Holy Spirit is with you every moment, if you would believe that the Holy Spirit wants to remind you of certain things where, hey, th this isn't right where it needs to be, why don't you step aside for a second and, and, and let me deal with that? And we mention all the time different ways and there's probably a million different examples. But maybe it has everything to do with the environment you go to at work 
and the attitude you bring to it that isn't helping. Or maybe it's the way that you head to school for some of you that maybe are in high school or college and you go there, you're just gonna get through the thing and try to get the grade and get out because who cares? Everybody else, there's a bunch of losers. And it's time to change your perspective because God cares about them just like he cares about you. Or maybe it's actually about the neighbor that lives right by you that grinds your gears, to say it kindly. And you're going, God, please, help me figure out how to love them because I don't, I don't know. Or maybe it's your marriage and you're not really being faithful like you need to be. And whether it's something you're looking at online or somebody you're flirting with in person or, or just thoughts that you have that you shouldn't be having, it's corralling that stuff. But it's not done by I think I can. It's done by the invitation of the Holy Spirit because God says, I promise you've been given the power you need to live this out, to be my witnesses, to pull off what Peter says. His divine power has given you and I everything we need for a godly life. But remember, it's you and I activating it by believing that God's given us that gift, by making that invitation verbally, by waiting on the spirit, by continuing to be diligently reading about those things that God has designed for us as we look at the writers of scripture and the things that they warned us about. Imagine the freedom that Christ came to bring was an actuality in your life. Imagine the grace that you might extend when you don't get your way. Imagine the love that might exist in your workplace because you choose to walk in believing that God has a mission for you there and you're not just there to get a paycheck. Imagine how your marriage or your family could be different if you invited the Holy Spirit to remind you, how do I love my kids like I'm supposed to? Because man, I'm frustrated all the time. Man, I'm worn out all the time. Man, I didn't get it right whatever day, right? It looks different when we live leaning into God's promise. You've been given the Holy Spirit. Overcoming fear, anxiety, or worry. Letting light shine the way God wants. Peter says, we've been given all these things, but I want you to listen to this. I'm gonna start at verse four. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, Peter's referring to what he just said. You wanna pull this off? You wanna do this? For this very reason, add to your faith goodness and to goodness, knowledge and to knowledge, self-control and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, this is a big deal. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. That's why I said this applies to all of us. This is not just the new believer who just recently gave their life to Christ. This includes them, but it includes all of us. What, what happens is we fall into a rut where, where change isn't really happening the way that it's supposed to. And we're just kind of going through the motions waiting for eternity or something 
We're not even sure. And yet these words of Peter remind us of the process of the journey that God has every single one of us on. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever doesn't have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting they've been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm that calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you'll receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's a beautiful picture when you wrap your head around it. But it has everything to do with the beginning portion, the promise of God, of you and I living in surrender to the gift of the Spirit given to us and the continuing journey of learning about who God is and what he wants of us and letting the Spirit be at work. Eternal life and abundant life. Father, I pray for all of us that for what Peter had to say and the burden that he carried for the people he loved so dearly, for us to not attach ourselves to old ways, but to live in the new way of the spirit and to believe that this gift you've given is for all of us. I pray today for an empowering of the Holy Spirit. I pray today, God, for that gift that was promised that, that we latch onto, that we make the invitation, God, I wanna live in surrender to your Holy Spirit. God, I wanna live believing that I'm on this journey of new life all the time. And it's a journey as long as I'm here that there is transformation happening. And where at the beginning, it can feel huge and it's a whole new path and it's a new understanding. And I quit that and I don't really do that anymore. And I'm a little more inclined to this and I, I, I'm this way. But God, as we go on, the journey doesn't stop it just looks a little different and there's more nuance to it for each of us. And I pray for your Holy Spirit to reveal that to us, that we want to become mature. We want to be productive. We want to be effective, like Peter said. We surrender, help us hear, help us respond in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or check us out at our website, grove.church.